Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister looks to other world leaders for support as China continues to detain two Canadians. A very clear consensus around the table and indeed with all the leaders in bilateral conversations is that uh, what has happened to the two Michaels uh, should not have happened and indeed could happen in any country around the world. Canada is expecting an influx of vaccines as questions remain about how effective they will be against COVID variants. In terms of vaccine coverage, you know, I think uh, the more people that are covered, uh, the, the harder it is for the virus to, to continue to sort of uh, propagate and spread throughout the population because there's more, I would say, uh, collective uh, uh, immunity, herd immunity. So I think that's something uh, we're very uh, alive to because we do recognize that no vaccine is 100% effective. And senior military leaders play golf with former Chief of the Defence Staff, Jonathan Vance. Frankly, I think a lot of people don't know what to say about this. What, what do you say? The, the former Chief of the Defence Staff is under investigation, and the man who has the power to some degree to control the military police investigation decides to go golfing with him while he's under investigation along with the head of the Navy. It's Monday, June the 14th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by... Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you again. So the Prime Minister was at the G7 summit, of course, in Cornwall, England, over the weekend, meeting with world leaders for the first time in a long time, uh, face-to-face. Um, and lots of interesting angles to explore there. Uh, we're going to talk more about vaccines in a moment. Uh, the Prime Minister did speak about China. Um, uh, I wonder, you know, how much we don't know, of course, about the conversations that took place behind closed doors, but how much support from other international leaders was there for Canada's efforts to free Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor? Uh, there were other issues on the agenda as well. Um, and and already people have been reporting about how since Angela Merkel is is soon departing politics that uh, Justin Trudeau will actually be the most experienced of the G7 leaders in his current role. So lots to to kind of uh, break down there. What were some of your thoughts on how the G7 unfolded? Well, let's start with the last part of your, your question, Mark, in, in, as, in terms of the Canadian Prime Minister now becoming the, the dean of the G7. I mean, if you uh, read a lot of the commentary and, and look at what's been playing out in, in Europe and so on, it, it sounds like it, it might be a claim and a crown in, in sort of name only. Hmm. Uh, be, sure, he's the most experienced uh, G7 leader in terms of time on the job, but uh, you know, Joe Biden's had a, life, a lifetime of dip, diplomatic experience, uh, far more experience than the Canadian Prime Minister on the world stage. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure uh, how much buy-in there would be for, uh, you know, you know, the, not, not that Canada shouldn't try to do whatever ever it can to take a, a lead role at international summits, but, you know, a lot of the people are going to have more of their interests vested in uh, Emmanuel Macron and, and in Joe Biden, I think, as time goes by. But having said that, uh, I think the China thing is really interesting. Uh, perhaps uh, Canadians would have liked to hear uh, some more assertive action from the G7 about what it might be able to do to, uh, to help free the two Michaels. It sounds like what they've decided to do is, a, is take a different approach, which is to try and, uh, you know, punish China economically. We'll, we'll see how that works. And 
rather than you know continuing to bang a wall uh, on the diplomatic front, which has so far you know given Canada no results to free the two Michaels, they've decided instead to set up this uh, this new G7 fueled uh, giant infrastructure fund to try and go after the same uh, you know the same sort of you know, country buy-in that China's been able to do by investing massively in Asia and Africa, uh, the G7 countries are now going to try and do the same thing, uh, put infrastructure on the line and try and help some of these developing nations, uh, you know, with, with their own, um, you know, own influence and their own uh, funding mechanism that might, you know, we'll see, perhaps yeah. could cause China to stand up and pay attention because it that might hurt China's. Uh, clearly, the plan is to try and hurt China on on the influence side and maybe right. on the economic side. So we'll we'll see how that plays out um, in in the years ahead and how quickly this thing gets up and running and uh, what kind of a difference it might make. Yeah. Anything else arising from the G7 that you think is noteworthy? I mean, obviously, they would have talked about uh, the, the the pandemic and and there were decisions made about vaccines. We can we can. Turn to that now, uh, and yeah, I, I think the you know the vaccine question is you know Canada was under a lot of pressure uh, to uh, contribute you know vaccines, and not just excess vaccines, but in some cases the call was to you know turn over some of your vaccine now uh, to developing countries who in some cases have yet to get a first shot, while Canada's ramping up uh, trying to complete first shots for as many Canadians as possible, and then working on doubling up the doses now as well. Um, but what's happened is, you know, Canada has committed a, a hundred million doses. Eighty-seven million of those doses will be uh, paid for, and the other thirteen million will be uh, supplied out of doses. Frankly, the, a lot of Canadians aren't using or are resistant to use uh, from AstraZeneca, from Johnson and Johnson, and from Novavax, the Canadian producer that has yet to have approval. So. Um, I don't think a, some of the critics are just not going to be satisfied. And then on the, in the, with what Canada is doing, and then on the broader uh, perspective, uh, the G7 countries have uh, agreed to fund and put up a, a, a billion vaccine doses when the World Health Organization has said what's needed is 11 billion. So on almost every count, it, it falls far short of what's being asked for, but it's they're not doing nothing, but a lot of the critics will not be satisfied. Yeah, and, and domestically, um, there, there's an influx of, of vaccines coming, and as you alluded to, there, there's even an accelerated timetable for the administration of a second dose to a lot of Canadians. Um, many people for, will be receiving uh, a second dose uh, uh, eight weeks, ten weeks um, uh, after their original dose, uh, after thinking they might have to wait 16 weeks for that. Um, so it, it sort of sets up after after many months when I think a lot of Canadians felt we were behind on vaccination, it, it sets up a different dynamic, doesn't it? Yeah, it's pretty amazing to, to think of the timetable here. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of question marks, still, you know, still uh, some question marks about the effectiveness of the vaccines, and that's a as, that's an as time goes by a question. We'll have to see how you know how good they are against the uh, the new variants that have been uh, been emerging. But uh, lots of indication that uh, they are good. And but uh, you hear health officials at every turn saying you know it's really important how to get second doses uh, into Canadians as fast as we can. We so we've gone from sort of you know inching along in terms of vaccinating Canadians in the first round, and now people talking about by the end of July. Uh, that, you know, we'll have 75% or 70-plus percent of Canadians that have had a second dose, too. So quite remarkable.
turnaround to think of how fast the process uh, process is accelerating um, when it you know when it had some uh, certainly some question marks about supply and momentum uh, that seems to have shifted significantly. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the Canadian military, which of course uh, now, in addition to having been plagued with allegations of inappropriate behavior by senior leaders in the military, we now learn that a couple of military senior military officers recently golfed with the former chief of the defense staff, Jonathan Vance, here in Ottawa. And one of those people has the power to direct military investigations. Uh, so obviously that looks really bad. And there are there are people who have been highly critical of this, including members of parliament. Um, the, the defense minister, Harjit Sajjan, has been, has been answering questions about this. But what do you think all of this says about this investigation that's happening in the Canadian military and the the culture that so many people have been talking about. Yeah, I think it says what next. I mean, it's it's almost it's it's hard to believe how this problem continues to you know cascade into something more significant. You know, I, I frankly I think a lot of people don't know what to say about this. What what do you say? The, the former chief of the defense staff is under investigation, and the man who has the power to some degree to control the military police investigation decides to go golfing with him while he's under investigation along with the head of the Navy. Um, you know, I, I think what I'm going to be watching for in the next couple of days is, is the government reaction on this, because if you go back, let's go back a few years, Mark, and I won't take too much time on this, but... Um, Right from the time that, uh, you know, Justice Deshaun's report came out about uh, misconduct in the military and how bad things were, um, you know, the, the government took a decision at the time to get involved, but on the promise from military leaders that this was their problem and they were going to fix it, they were going to be serious about fixing it, the government gave them a little bit of space. Yeah, they took action. There was this independent uh, reporting um, civilian sort of office uh, there for people to report to, but uh, you know, largely, you know, it was a military problem, and they were bound and determined to fix it. And that was the promise they made. The promise came in part from General Vance, and here we are, you know, six years later, and it, it, five years later, it's not. It, it not only has it not happened, uh, you know, the military claims that it's happened, but all the evidence suggests it isn't happening. And I think the government might be getting to a point here where it's, it's, it, it has to take ownership of this 100%, no more giving the military a chance to, uh, to prove itself. And this is another indication of, uh, of why that is, uh, where you, uh, it, uh, it kind of boggles the mind uh, that military leaders in senior positions, such as the two who went golfing with, with General Vance, could think that was a good idea. And I think that's going to be the pressure on the government. The government, I think, needs to have a pretty strong statement of what happens next uh, to satisfy those people who are watching this unfold and just can't believe what happens chapter after chapter. The, 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 you know, no, you know, we see one thing and then a couple of weeks later we, we see this kind of thing. It, it seems clear to, I think, a lot of people watching the military just can't be left to its own devices here that uh, time's run out. Mm. All right. We will see what this week brings, Peter. Um, it could be the final full week of this parliamentary session. That remains to be determined, but we'll be watching that, of course, and lots lots happening this week uh, in the uh, House of Commons as well. Um, yeah. So we'll watch and see what happens. Peter, thanks so much for joining us today. Always good to talk to you, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. 
It's disappointing to lose a, a, a member. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that uh, is, is a loss. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert argues with a federal election looming, the NDP is shaping up to be the campaign's spoiler. Hébert writes, The defection of a Green Party MP is the latest sign that the passing of the torch from Elizabeth May to Annamie Paul is not going smoothly. And a weaker Green Party may be only one of the stars aligning for the NDP. Two recent polls have pegged NDP support about half a dozen points above its score in the last federal election, while their fortunes are on the rise at the provincial level. The fact that the NDP brand is in good shape in four of the five provinces west of Quebec can only reflect positively on the federal party. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun calls on Canadians to give themselves a break this summer. The Sun writes, The mental toll of the pandemic has been considerable regardless of our specific experiences. Perhaps one of the most panic-inducing experiences has been the daily presentation of COVID-19 case counts. Likewise, the fretting over what shape our lives will take as restrictions ease and tighten. Our hope is that this summer, as the pandemic recedes, vaccination rates increase, and restrictions ease, Canadians can also get a mental break from it all. We deserve it. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The House of Commons Special Committee on Canada-China Relations will question top health officials about two Chinese scientists fired from a high-level microbiology lab in Winnipeg. But as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports... Tonight's testimony falls short of what the opposition has demanded. Mark, two weeks ago, a majority of MPs in the House of Commons passed a motion demanding that the Trudeau government produce unredacted documents concerning the incident at the National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg, that they be provided to the Special Canada-China Relations Committee, and that Health Minister Patty Haidu appear for at least three hours before the committee to answer questions. This all centres on the removal from the premises of that high-security laboratory of two senior senior Chinese scientist two years ago on July of 2019. 18 months later, the two scientists were fired for security reasons. Now, all the country's security services will say on the matter is that the two were fired for breaches of security. The Conservative Party has been asking questions about the removal of those two scientists and their later firing, and they're asking whether that had any link to the fact that four months prior to that, prior to their removal, one of those scientists had been responsible for the shipment from Canada of the of Ebola and Hennepin virus samples to the Chinese Wuhan Institute of Virology. That institute is now at the centre of many questions as to whether it might actually be connected to the origins of the coronavirus. The Trudeau government has argued that the breaches of security in this case are delicate national security issues and that they would be better dealt with by Parliament's National Security and Intelligence Committee, which can handle top secret matters such as this one. That has not satisfied the opposition parties. Well, tonight, Health Minister Patty Haidu will appear before the committee starting at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The committee is slated to sit for at least three hours. Also appearing will be the head of the Public Health Agency of Canada, which runs the National Microbiology Laboratory, as well as the head of the laboratory itself, Dr. Guillaume Poliquin. It's unlikely that any of those top-secret documents will be tabled before the committee tonight, but nonetheless, the committee hearing tonight should be a fascinating one to watch. Thanks, Martin. Also today, Prime Minister Trudeau will be in Brussels to attend the Canada-European Union Summit. 
NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Immigration Minister Marco Mendocino and Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will make an announcement related to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's call to action number 17. Communities Minister Catherine McKenna will attend an infrastructure event in Ottawa. And Minister of Labour Philomena Tassi will make a virtual announcement in Hamilton, Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, June 14th. Tune into Primetime Politics every evening on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.